What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. We are back after a little bit of a break as Richard and I prepare to take off in just a couple days for Surf and Sales Session 5A and 5B, and then a little rest and relaxation with our families. Uh, we are brought to you today by our good friends over at Reprise, Reggie, Vidyard, Outreach, Salesforce, and for the Serpent Sales Summit, the events, our sponsors, Alice, Lessonly, Aspireship, Chili Piper, and oh my gosh, we have a lot of sponsors. We can't do the show or the events without them. We're super grateful for them and their participation. And uh, here with my good friend Richard Harris, as always, and we are talking to a special someone coming from Australia, where it's like three o'clock in the morning or something atrocious, probably, I think. Uh, he's being a he's being a champ. He's the co-founder and head of growth at the Sales IQ Group. It's Luigi Prestonenzi. Welcome to the show, Luigi. Oh, thanks, gents. Really pumped to be here, mate. I've been a big big fan of uh, of you guys for a long time, so it's great to be able to have a chat with you all about sales. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming. We have a secret agenda in that we need to do Surf and Sales Australia. And so that's really why you're here. We're just trying to recruit you to help us make that happen in, in 2023 or 2022, 2023, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Make it happen. Well, tell, tell everybody a little bit about, um, you know, who you are, what you do. Talk to us about the sales IQ group and, and give people some context for uh, the conversation today. Yes. I'm a lifelong sales professional, man. I, I'm pretty fortunate that I've, I uh, fell out of school and fell into a sales role because I didn't go, I didn't do very well at school. Um, I struggled to do anything with my hands, but there's one thing I've always been really good at and that's putting deals together. So I learned at an early age how to build relationships and rapport with people um, and how to, how to essentially deliver a message that help people uh, engage and buy. Um, and I worked across sort of uh, consumer space sales, um, went into B2B enterprise, um, you know, just to cut the whole sort of my whole life story short, but ran omni-channel sales divisions across a variety of different industries before becoming head of marketing with a large listed um, ASX listed business when I was about 30. Um, decided to make a change and decided to start consulting and working with organizations on go-to-market planning because I found that sales and marketing weren't really talking to each other. There was a real disconnect. Marketing delivers leads, sales say they're no good. Um, so I just started working with both sales and marketing teams to kind of bring that alignment together. Um, and then a few years back, decided to uh, go into partnership with Tony Hughes, um, who's the author of Combo Prospecting, uh, Tech Powered Sales, um, and really, I just loved his book. I thought his book was amazing from an enterprise sales perspective and I was using it. So I decided to combo him, called him, had dinner with him. Next thing I know, we're in partnership and now we're helping organizations really fix that top of the funnel um, problem, which is a, is a major problem for a lot of organizations, right? So um, enabling their sales team to self-generate pipeline yeah. is a real challenge. Um, so that's what we do now. We work with a variety of companies across a number of different sectors in really fixing that top of funnel um, self-generation problem for, for sellers. So I, I wrote down a bunch of different things in terms of, of where <laughs> we could take this, this conversation. But the first question I want to ask is, what is it like working alongside a superstar for you? Because Tony is like very well-known. 
right? This is how I feel about working with Richard. Like I have to work in Richard's shadow because he's a superstar. <laughs> so I wonder what it's like your experience partnering up and, 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 you know, what is the benefit and value in that in all seriousness? Like, I think Richard and I complement each other very well. Things that he's good at, I suck at, and vice versa. Um, so talk to me about that. You know, Tony's well-known, well-regarded, established. Here comes yep. Luigi. Now you guys work together. Do you butt heads a lot? Do the ego get involved? Like, how do you decide who does what? Super curious about yeah. those dynamics. Great question, man. And I think, you know, early on, um, I think there was a little bit of butting heads, but um, – not from an ego perspective, um, I think, and we've got a really good rhythm now. We work really well together. And Tony, the thing with Tony, and, and this is why we, we complement so well with clients, like we're working with you know the likes of SAP and 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 Salesforce and a number of other companies at, at the enterprise level and also mid market. The thing that's really great about both of us is Tony comes with that wise, experienced professor type of approach. When he talks, people listen, right? And so when we're working on projects together, um, they see me as the practitioner, the guy that's doing it, because I'm doing the stuff in combo every day. Mm. Um, the stuff that we talk about, I'm executing every day, right? That's one of the things that I'll constantly, uh, I want to make sure that I'm executing the stuff that I work with people on, because I don't want to become that, you know, that trainer, the, the person that is teaching something they're not doing anymore, right? Because you don't want to be, you want to, you don't want to be who everybody references when they say, stop taking advice from somebody who hasn't done this in 20 years. You don't want to be yeah. that one. Absolutely, man. Like I'm self-generating pipeline. I'm, 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 you know, I'm just calling into the C-suite, developing cadences, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Tony and I really do complement each other and, and, and Tony's great because he, he helps me see things a little bit differently. And when we're building strategy, he really comes at it from, I mean, the guys ran some pretty big companies. Um, so it's really good to sort of have that, um, that mentor, you know, like that author always there kind of providing some feedback. Um, and and I, I get him to coach me. So I'll send him calls. Even last week I had a, had a discovery call. I sent it across to him. I said feedback. You know, I made a whole call that didn't go the way that it should have gone. I sent it to him. I said, what could I have done differently? Um, I'm getting that real-time feedback. And again, you know, I want that feedback because I need to have that growth mindset because if we're asking people in our roles, right, we're asking people to develop themselves. We're asking people to be open to feedback. We've got to be open to that feedback as well. And one of the things that I never want to get to that point, Scott and you know, Richard, I never want to get to that point where I feel like I'm the master because therefore my learning opportunity is gone. Right, and the thing that we know about selling is it's evolving every day, and we need to stay current. So I need that feedback, right? Um, even Daryl, a good friend, Daryl Prail from Vanilla Software, coaches team. I sent him a call. I said, "Mate, give me some feedback." You right? listen to Daryl Prail um, because I value his opinion. Daryl, <laughs> you got advice from Daryl? Oh my god! No, I'm just kidding. I love Daryl, but you know, he and I like to butt heads. So what did Daryl? But I interrupted. Sorry. Go ahead. So you talked to Daryl. No, no, that's all good. So that, I mean, that's, that's one of the great things I love about Tony, right? Is he's keen to give feedback and I'm keen to receive feedback. So again, from a, from a working together perspective, we work really well. Um, and, and, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to 
you know, we, we, we've got a strategy in place and we try to execute on that strategy at the moment. I want to, I want to ask you a question. Um, cause, cause I agree with, I, you know, I took a great note, which is real time feedback equals growth mindset. I really like that, that line. Yeah. Um, what kind of things did they hear? Right. Cause you know, you're like Scott and I, like we, I don't know that we ever, you know, totally foobar a, a call, but there are moments where we're like, Oh, I missed something. Right. What yeah. kind of things are you missing? Like, and is it, is it the basic stuff? It's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, you know, I haven't done a sales call in two weeks. Gosh, I forgot to ask that yeah. that question. I always ask, like, what, what kind of things are they giving you? Yeah, I think Tony will pick up when I'm tired and he'll pick up that I've either spoken too much or spoken too early or, you know, not asked, like not asked enough questions before going into talking about what we do and how we help organizations. And again, that's, that's the biggest advice I keep getting from Tony is like, you know, when you're working too many hours um, or you've got too many things on the go, it can impact your focus and therefore the quality can be impacted. Um, and that for me, that's my biggest challenge. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable to talk about my biggest challenges. You know, I start early, I'm up at, you know, 3.34 a.m. I'm doing calls early. And if I work a late night, it impacts my early morning performance, right? I see that all the time. So, um, and that's good to sort of get that feedback from people because if he's picking up, then it would have been, you know, then the client would have picked that up, right? We're not all perfect. I make some great calls. Like I had this call last week. You know, when you, ha- you get off a call, you're like, man, I nailed that call. It was awesome. I got to the point, I got all the other stakeholders confirmed in the next steps. It was great, right? Then in saying that, I've had other calls where you get to the end and you're like, mate, what the hell went wrong there? <laughs> Why did I start just feature dumping on this guy and and not stop and get composed and go, you know what? Let's just ask a couple of questions and get this thing back on track. <laughs> yeah. I think that's sometimes you're in the moment. That's that's what I think too, is that, you know, it, it's the simple stuff, right. And, you know, same with sports analogies, like what did you change? How did you adjust your yeah. foot or your grip on the bat or the ball or whatever it is? Like it's the little things and we all, it all happens to all of us. Right. It, it happens yeah. at some point to all of us. And I, I love the fact that you're, you know, you're asking people um, for those things. And, you know, like Scott and I do that. We do it more at the strategy session because we don't record our calls. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> the same thing everywhere. And I think it's super important to what does a good partnership mean? Not the sales customer vendor partnership, but like your friendship partnership. Because it does overlap and it does yeah. come together. I really, like I think, it. I think it's so interesting and, and and awesome that you know, here's Luigi's sales consultant, sales trainer, and he's still doing call reviews, you know, with with peers and with with a, a I don't know if it's a boss relationship, partner relationship, or whatever. So he's utilizing some of the tools that reps out there have access mm-hmm. to and resist. You know, I was, I was talking to a company uh, earlier this morning, actually, who is having challenges with, uh, I, I'm called tool fatigue, let's say. Like, they have a bunch of tools, and the team is not utilizing them uh, effectively, right? And they're asking for new tools. It's like, wait a second, you want these new tools? You're not even using this one thing that you already have. You're not even using it well, right? Yeah. I think it's really great and, and good... Uh, you know, good like way to lead by example that you're out there doing call reviews and things like that. Still, but I think we need to. I think we need to push all of our clients going forward. When was the last time you, as a VP of sales, had a call review? 
When was the last time you were sale? You let your sales team listen to your call and give you feedback. Like, yeah, that to me would be real. Yeah, I think, you know, because I think like one of the things, and I'm not that old, right? I'm 39 years old, but we, we, you know, I came from the era where we never had kind of the gongs or, you know, the choruses, whatever platforms. Um, we didn't even, we didn't record freaking some of the calls, right? We were, it was the old punching a dial pad. I did door knocking. If you think about the evolution of what, of selling, like we are sales professionals now, the fact that we can in real time go back, listen to a call immediately, you know, and, 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 and reflect like, and I'd say, I'd say this to all the sellers I coach, like if you've got these tools, if your company's investing in these tools, you should be doing your own call reviews every single week. You should be picking a bunch of calls, do one a day. It's funny, I work with a company in Sydney. They really bought into this concept. And every morning they do um, like a breakfast club and they listen to a call every single day, start a shift, right? And they do one after lunch. It's, it's, they've doubled conversion in two years, right? And they're focused on pretty much, there's other things they're focused on, but the main focus was the call calibration. They had this scorecard every single day, like just a relentless focus on yeah. did we follow the process and how's our call calibration? Talk, and people improve, right? Talk, talk to us about your process for rapport building. If I, if I rewound the tape a little bit, one of the things you said at the very beginning was, you know, how you're, you're kind of keen to focus on, on rapport. Rapport, I think, means something different to almost everybody. Um, <clears throat> so how do you coach people how to do that? And then how do you help people identify if you're doing a call review, like, oh, did you see that? That's like a rapport yeah. building kind of thing right there. And, and how much is enough? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think depending on where and depending on the type of engagement you're having. So often like we see this, if, if I'm leading with a, with cold outreach, right? And I'm picking up the phone, I'm not leading with a rapport building strategy because first and foremost, I've just got to get their attention. And my narrative needs to be focused on them and the outcomes that I can help them solve, right? Or help them achieve. And if I lead with friend strategy, as Tony says, people aren't looking for more friends. A C-level executive is that busy. He's not going to want to become friends with somebody that just called him out of the blue. However, I build rapport by using a narrative that's focused on them and I've personalized the message. So I'm kind of earning the right to start that conversation. But it's not that I'm leading with, I want to become your friend, that type of um, strategy. However, if it's, the, and this is the opportunity that we have as sellers as, as well. Like, you know, we all had this training early on in our careers, intonation, speed, tone, pitch. I don't think enough focus. When we call someone, you can tell a lot by a person, by just the way they answer the phone, right? Do the actual, what my mean? mother says every time, yeah. just like, totally. I just coached this last week. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, Dr. Tony Alexandra's book, uh, The Platinum Rule, right? Treat others the way they want to be treated not the golden rule. And you can pick up a lot, even in the way they write an email, you can pick up kind of their disc profile. So if you know that they're a high D, you're not going to be approaching them with a, you know, over expressive sort of approach, right? So we just got to adapt our style. So there's a couple of ways that I try to, to, to work on rapport. Uh, and that's what I tell, you know, tell sales guys that I coach um, is adapt your style first and foremost and be and, and choose when you're starting to try to open that relationship up. And I had it, you know, Tony and I just converted a uh, 
a T2 telco, you know, huge telco here. We had the CEO on the final step of the process, right? Now, it started that typical, you know, 15 minutes in, he was very much proper, yeah? Tell me about projects. And then all of a sudden, you could feel the tension just drop. And then he started, you know, um, talking about some other stuff. And, and by the end of the call, it was a very relaxed, talking about cricket. <laughs> um, but if we didn't start that way, it got yeah. to that point. And he allowed that to get there. If we had started that way, it probably wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the outcome that we would have liked to achieve. And I think this is where a lot of sellers get it wrong, right? Let's start building rapport first when it should be the opposite. Let me earn the right to build rapport. Let me earn the right to get a conversation going, right? And then And the definition of rapport is interesting. The, the best way to build rapport with me is to get to the fucking point right away. <laughs> That's what, that, that like literally endears, <laughs> endears somebody yeah. to me. Yeah. Right? That doesn't want to hear anybody mm. talk about surfing unless they can actually talk about them surfing. Get to the point that to me is like, okay, yeah. now yeah. I trust you. Now, now we have like a little bit of a bond. This person speaks my language now. They're not doing all this fluffy stuff. Like for me, that, that works. For somebody else, it wouldn't work. And so you, you, you got to know and adapt to, to Luigi's point, right? Yeah. And we, I mean, the other thing too is that we're so jaded by it because it's something we experience daily scott do you know what i mean mm. because of our roles and i think luigi's role and and tony's role and you know we we see bad all the time we talk about how not to do bad so when it comes to us our sensitivities you know our spidey senses go up immediately so i think we're we're jaded to it as well so um, otherwise people would stop doing it right? so that that's how i see it so what i want to go way back you know, you talked about, you learned early on as a kid somewhere, I don't know what that definition means to you, but that you were good at this salesman piece or, you know, rapport building thing. Like, do you remember the first time outside of business, like way back when you were like, oh, I can make these things happen in my life? Yeah, I was pretty fortunate. My mom um, had a pretty big impact on my sales career. She used to work for Mary Kay and, uh, she was incredible. Like I was, I was probably six or seven watching her bring a group of females together and do her thing was amazing. Right. She was top. She was like one of those pink Cadillacs. Did she ever win one yeah. of them? Oh my God. Well, the story is like, and this is, again, this is why I have a, have a connection with sort of mental health and, and, and selling. Um, my mum was that driven that she drove herself to the ground, like wow. literally breaking point. That was it. Um, and so I've seen the both sides. Yeah. I've seen, and this is why, you know, um, yeah, this is why I've sort of, I've got, I've got, I've got that empathy, um, and, and connection to sort of mental health. Cause I've seen off, off both ends. So my mum was that driven two o'clock in the morning, working day and day, day for that Cadillac or for that, that pink car, which it completely, completely broke her, you know, to the other end of going into a, into a, into a mental hospital, and then having to pick yourself up again and, and really struggled for a period of time. Um, however, uh, I did, you know, watching her in action was kind of my first, you know, exposure to the world of selling and to the way that she engaged and her mindset and her mentality of, of persistence and con consistency was incredible. Um, and I took that into my early ages at school when I started hustling, you know, selling things at school. <laughs> what were you selling? Um, 
if you can oh, mention everything them. from <laughs> no nah, well you know everything from cigarettes at, at 30 cents a cigarette you know you'd buy a packet and you'd kind of maximize your return on, on what you'd invest in um just every just just hustle phones and you know, so just just so you know kind of did scott, back in the day you know, scott never smoked but he loves the fact that you're hustling cigarettes like the grin on his face <laughs> is like like this, oh, yeah. is, this is the guy, right? Yeah. Like I hustled candy. I was, I was hustling Jolly Ranchers. So, uh, it's an opportunity on my end. Yeah. 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 No, I just, and then, you know, I felt like I said, cause I struggled at school. Um, I, uh, my first job out of school actually was a, was in it was a high end retailer, uh, where they sold suits, you know, suits and men's, men's clothing, you know, expensive stuff, four, five, six thousand dollars a suit. So I got to see sort of, you know, the buying experience at the, at the high end. And that was awesome. It was awesome to see how you need to create experience. People Hold on. Buy. I, I got to stop you. Um, they're not necessarily buying. I want to, I want to understand if your first sales job coming out of school is selling a $5,000 suit, you had to sell the heck out of yourself to get that job. Yeah, absolutely. $5,000 suit before that point. Had I ever won one? Yeah. Nah, I didn't. Uh, and, and the reason why I went there is because my, my um, see, I, I don't share this story much, but my grandfather's brother from, uh, from Italy, because my grandmother's still alive. I'm going to say this week, 89 years old. Um, but her brother uh, in Italy became a very famous tailor. And uh, he dressed the King of Spain and they sold these suits in Barney's, New York, and, and um, ended up selling his company to Brioni, which is a, a very famous men's label, right? Um, and he sold these suits at this particular shop. So I decided, you know what, I want to go work there and, and sell those suits. So I just walked in, 17, introduced myself to the owner. I said, you know, this is um, what I want to do. So he gave me a job. And, uh, yeah, it was a really good experience. It, it, it showed me, like, exactly why that buying experience. Like, it was just amazing. Like, seeing people come in, I was earning $410 a week, and people are spending, like, 30 grand in one sitting, right? <laughs> Um, it was just, it was huge. You know, so what did you, people so, were spending more on a belt than what I earned. Right. So what did, what did you learn about? Cause this is fascinating. This goes back to that rapport piece, right? Like someone coming in with a very specific yeah. need, but nobody's dropping 5,000 or $6,000 on a suit to a 17 year old kid who's, if they can't carry themselves well. So what yeah. were the things you learned at that stage that helped you? Do you think that, you know, or were taught to you, maybe they were taught to you. That, that really helps you figure that piece out. Yeah, so it's interesting. So the guy that ran the business, Theo, um, had an incredible sort of aura and charisma about him and the way that he composed himself and, 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 and engaged with people was something that I noticed really early. Um, he held that level of confidence and it wasn't cocky. It was, you know, there's a difference, right? Um, it was just confidence um, and the way that he made people feel was just well, watching him engage with people was amazing. Um, he made people feel good about themselves, right? They'd walk in, high-powered business people, lawyers, um, and they'd walk in and they'd leave feeling great, right? Because, again, they weren't buying the suit. They were buying the way the suit made them feel. They were yeah? buying the experience, absolutely. Um, they were buying the way they looked, yeah, and the way they looked in the mirror. Um, that's why I often have these arguments. I'm like, there's a difference between a $200 suit and a $4,000 suit, just the feeling, the way it sits, yeah, and that's what they're buying. Um, so I learned that early on. I learned little things like, you know, dropping compliments, saying positive things to people, um, 
that impact that it had on saying to someone, mate, it sits per like just even even rubbing the side of the arm, there was a tactic. Um, it showed the way to cut. Like it was just amazing, just things like that. And you know, I read books now on on, on certain psychology of selling, and things that I learned back then are in books that you read today, right? Um, and there's a lot to be learned from from consumer sales. And this is what I love about, you know, I think every B2B seller should work in consumer sales and vice versa. Every marketer should cross, cross both because there are so many things that you can apply from both, right? And I think- Did you learn this marketer, stuff when you worked at The Gap, Richard? Yes, but I don't think we were, I don't think we were allowed to touch people. Like, I you know, that was not a- a piece, but yes, I did learn all of this approach and compliments and um, the add-ons and the suggestions and um, and even to a certain extent, I, you guys, you, I, I would tell people you guys that, need to do a masterclass now <laughs> on what con- consumer selling can teach you. Yeah. You guys need to do a masterclass on what consumer selling and selling clothes and suits can. Uh, and I, I can bet this is one maybe. maybe did you ever tell someone, you know what, that one doesn't look right on you? Did you? Because I would Actually, say that. Yeah, like that was, it was interesting. Like, and you'd also, look, these are some tactics, but you'd give them some options and like the decoy effect, right? Like um, you want to give them options and make sure that there's options they eliminate. Um, at the time, I didn't know it was a decoy effect, but as I learned selling, I learned the art of selling. I learned, hey, that's a decoy effect, right? So, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, and that's, and that's, that's one thing. I think not always telling people what they want to hear is an important part of the sales process. Right. And we know that, you know, that's the whole, as long, as much as I don't agree with it, um, the whole challenger mentality, right. Yeah. Um, oh, I hate the challenger. It's like, how do you tell your sister so, she's an ugly baby? Like that's the, that's the definition of challenger. So. Um, all right. Hit a, hit a nerve. So, no, no, it's good. Like, I like hitting that nerve. Uh, I appreciate their approach, but they just, you know, in their own words, they reframe the same stuff we've been talking about for years. So uh, nothing, and they're not very good at tacticals, in my opinion. So what, um, when did you realize you fell in love with sales? Like, was it that first $7,000 suit you sold? Was it even before that, when you were like hustling in, you know, the smokes? Yeah, I think, you know what, I think it was, you know, this is a really good question. Um, I think it was my first call center, actually, um, when I was selling, uh, we were selling into like a hotel package, right? But um, it wasn't a hotel package, you were selling a card. And that card gave people like discounts. <laughs> and uh it was actually a really hard sale and the target per day was ridiculously low. I think it was one a day. And this is old school call contact. This is dialer just pushes the number through yeah. and you go, hi, is, is Mr. And Mrs. You know, such and such calling. Um, and it was hardcore, right? And uh, you were literally on the phone for seven hours and I, the target was one a day. And I remember, I think I got about six or seven that day ended up getting a lady and she ended up buying another one for her husband and then referred me to her sister. Like I ended up, you know, absolutely crushing it. And I'll never forget that feeling I had when other people around me were kind of like, you know, looking at me in awe on what I had accomplished. Um, and that day I realized, you know what, I'm actually, I've got a bit, I've got a bit of skill here. So. Um, did, you love, did you love the, 
the the money that it was going to bring or the like now nah, the, the feeling. feeling of how people look to you like oh there goes that yeah. guy's bad <laughs> yeah and that's just like the feeling i love the feeling that i was able to accomplish something that apparently you couldn't accomplish yeah and that started a really interesting journey for me because then wherever i went i always kind of i, I started going well what what's what's somebody doing and how can i how can i better that right so what are you so what are you trying to do now that nobody else is doing <laughs> what's the what's yeah, the big, what's the big goal in front of you for uh, next year yeah well tony and i we have we have got a big big, big bold and uh, audacious goal and that's around the enablement space we really want to make a dent in the enablement in the enablement space and really capture a large market share there and, and really change the way people engage with learning. Um, I think that there's a big challenge at the moment with, with training and enablement. Uh, and what, and what challenge is that? Do you think that's a remote challenge? No, I, I just think it's, 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 the way it's, it's the way it's delivered. I think you know, too many companies think that we can deliver two-day training and expect change, you know, behavior to change. It doesn't happen like that. Like we all know that it takes time for, for behavior to change. Um, it takes a combination approach. It can't be a siloed, just a bit of training or just a bit of online content. It's got to be a combination. There's got to be coaching to reinforce. It's got to be ongoing as well. You just can't change behaviors overnight, right? Um, and I think, I think actually, I think our sales profession has a lot of challenges that's preventing it from really achieving its full potential. What are those challenges? We'll take the SDR BDR model, right? You bring a a, a young 25-year-old into a role, expect them to call senior decision makers and you give them a couple of weeks training and say, get on the phone. And then by the way, use these tech stacks and run cadences and sequences, et cetera. Um, It's not enough. It's not enough. And then enablements, because they're so stretched, they're focused on enabling them and teaching them about the technology that they sell not about the outcomes that are important to these customers. The other thing is 25-year-olds don't have the life experience yet. And I'm not saying because I was that 25-year-old, but you're calling a 40 to 50-year-old person who has a level of experience, right? How do they engage with that person? And again, two-week boot camp, two-week induction, doesn't cut it. And then a call calibration from their manager once a, once a quarter, doesn't cut it. Right, like replays, you know, Dave says, you know, what is it? The average rep gets a coaching session every three months. Like, not enough. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. If you think about an athlete, a professional athlete is training every single day. They're getting coached every single day. They're going through the motion every single day. They're getting feedback every single week. But yet we put sellers on the phone and we're paying them X amount of dollars to call customers, the most important people in our world, and not enable them enough, right? Not give them enough coaching and feedback. Um, so I think there's a big gap there in top of funnel. And then I think you've got the, you know, the, the actual salespeople, you know, the coffee and donut sellers that have really struggled over the last two years because territory selling has changed. You know, calling a customer just because they're on my call cycle, that's changing because now companies are realizing shit, I don't need to have that territory sales force anymore because the territory is performed better than what it was when, before COVID. <laughs> I just like that he right. called it coffee and donut salespeople. <laughs> you know, the professional visitor, you know, the guy that rocks up and he's like, by the hey, way, I will, I will tell people if you're, to, weekend. if you're trying to sell Scott Lee's, he is a sucker for a good donut. So I know this for a fact. <laughs> 
No, I just think, you know, there's that, that whole that whole place has changed. I mean, the amount of money that people spend on training and yet, um, you know, we're not backing it up. We're not reinforcing it. But I don't even think they're and spending the other- enough. Like, that's the funny thing. It's kind of like, like, you tell me, like, everybody wants to nickel and dime the trainer. They're like, oh, I want to, I want to try and like, you know, beat the trainer kind of a game. And it's like, mm. really? Like, that's the game you think you're going to play? Like, no, yeah, stop it. Because I don't think they spend nearly enough. Like, if you looked at, you know, what is, I should go do this analysis. In certain towns, you can, you can determine how much, at least in the States, how much the school spends on educating your child, right? How many yeah. dollars? And I guarantee you, they don't spend nearly, nearly that much on educating their salespeople. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all see it like all, and, and the thing is all the numbers will, will show us that, you know, more coaching, it's increased win rates, right? You see a positive improvement. The amount you spend, you get, you know, more profit. Like all the data actually tells us that investing in development is a positive, right? Um, it's just how people see it as a priority. And, and the other thing that we see is, or that I'm seeing is leaders aren't equipped to back that up, right? So leaders aren't coaching because they haven't got the confidence, right? And because they're not competent in a particular area. Um, and so they're struggling to then have those follow-up conversations with their team. So they revert back to some old school sort of sales management techniques. So I think there's a lot of, and the other thing is, as we both know, this sector is growing like crazy. The tech, the tech sector is, is booming. Uh, all the money that's being invested is being thrown at kind of top of funnel sales teams, just higher, higher, higher. Um, but we're just forgetting that, like, if we don't enable that sales force properly, all that's going to happen is we're just going to have a bunch of people out there, you know, still selling feature. Like, I still can't believe how many people reach out around features, you know? Um, we have, with all the great content out there, and I've got so many books here, with the podcasts that you produce, with all the great content out there, you'd think that feature approach would be would be different by now, right? Um, and, I, and again, that's where I see there's, there's a big opportunity there. So, for, you know, answer your question, Scott, I really want to really make a difference. That's what Tony and I are doing. We're trying to make a difference at scale and help elevate the world and the professional you know, way that sellers engage with buyers. Yeah, it's fascinating. I really, I, it's, it's also job security for us. So don't, don't solve the problem too much, Luigi. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I got an abundance of opportunities, you know, and, and that it's funny you say that because I had this chat with my colleague the other day. We've got a client at the moment and uh, we're about to engage and already I'm seeing red flags, you know, they, they, and, and I'm, I said to him, I'm happy to walk away from this one, right? Because you can walk away from one. There's another 10 that we can approach next week. Like, it's not as if there's a lack of opportunities in the marketplace. Agreed. Um, and if a, if a company is just doing this to tick the box, then they're not the right company for us. Yep. Because what's going to happen is they're not going to reinforce. They're not going to sort of say, this is what you need to do as a team. The managers aren't going to take it seriously. Yep. And therefore there's not going to be a return on investment. There's no point in us doing this exercise. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I know we need to wrap in a second. Um, you know, the, the buzzword I've been picking up on a lot on this year, and I don't know why I never thought it before, was when your prospects and customers start asking for flexibility. Well, we want to work with you. You know, we just, I hope as we go through this process, you know, we're hoping you can be flexible. 
right? And it's like, that's, that's their first attempt. And then they drop that word flexible 20 times over several conversations. So that by the time it's time to negotiate, they're hoping you feel guilty for not being flexible. Like it's this, it's the flexibility technique, which, you know, I'm slowly starting to teach against. So, so. I, I, I wonder if, you know, when they build a bridge, if the person building the bridge says to the engineer, can you be flexible with us? Right, exactly. <laughs> can you be flexible with the way you build the bridge and you make, cut some corners? Yeah, could you, could, you, could you make the code you're writing a little more flexible? So, you know, so, you know, maybe it won't break, but you're more flexible. Uh, you know, I'm going to rattle off our sponsors, but while I do that, uh, our question for you is, our last question for you is, what question can we answer for you? We always like to sort of give it back to the guests, but first let me give a shout out to our event sponsors because it is happening uh, in about 48 hours. People are getting on airplanes. Uh, Alice, Lessonly, Gong, Chili Piper, Aspireship, and Vidyard. We appreciate you guys always supporting the event, helping other people come and learn and educate and build some bombs that maybe they wouldn't otherwise. And of course, we want to thank our our actual podcast sponsors of Reprise and Reggie and also Vidyard and Outreach. So we, we appreciate everything that folks do to help us get the knowledge out to the community uh, and bring in some great people like Tony Hughes, who we had a few weeks ago and Luigi. So thank you so much. And uh, with that, Luigi, what question you got for us? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my question's around kind of, you know, with, with seeing everything that you're seeing in, in this space, um, what's one thing or what's, what, what can sellers do to find that edge and, and, and create that differentiation in the marketplace? I think it starts at the top with leadership. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry we didn't go more into mental health because I, I do a ton around mental health and sales and Scott supports me there. I've, I've done some research and reports, which I'm happy to share with you on, on what makes people strong. So one, I think it is, the mental health side of things, like understanding what was going on for you when things were going well, not mm. when things were going bad. So that's a sort of the internal approach. And I think the other thing is, is that vulnerability from leadership, like leadership needs to be vulnerable. Like what we were talking about at the beginning of this call, when was the last time a VP of sales recorded a call and had the team coach him on it or her, right? Like I think a leader who does that would get so much more buy-in, credibility, improve their skill set, encourage it'll encourage their team to improve their skill set. So I think it comes from that leadership point. Um, because none of us, as you said earlier, none of us were taught to be leaders. We were taught to be closers. Mm -hmm. And because we closed, we got promoted, you know, and that was kind of it. Um, there, you know, unless you went to like some big company where they taught you management skills and people skills, you're just sort of winging it. And so we were just repeating the bad yeah. habits we learned and experienced as sales reps thinking that's the right way to do things. So. Scott, over to you. Yeah. From, from, from me, I, <clears throat> I think in very short order here, uh, people are not going to be able to be successful selling if they don't have a big network and a pretty successful personal brand behind it. Um, there's a lot of deals that are happening now because somebody knows Luigi and that's why they take the meeting or that they get an email from Luigi and you recognize Luigi's name as opposed to everybody else who's in your inbox. There's a lot of sort of partner selling 
moments where Scott's introducing Luigi to Richard and everybody kind of knows each other and therefore the meeting is happening. You look at I me, mean, we just rattled off all these sponsors who, who help us with the show. We don't get those sponsors just like cold outreaching at all these people if nobody knows who we are. We only get them because we've invested years of trying to be helpful to the general sales and revenue community so people know who our name is. So when we do message people, the familiarity is there. And so they take that that call. And I, I don't see how you're going to be able to be successful in B2B much longer, if at all, um, without having, you know, somewhat of a presence there and, and, and utilizing that network that you've um, spent a long time and worked hard to, to cultivate. Um, and I think that, that that's the way past the the way past the gatekeeper, if you will, the way into somebody's yeah. phone, the way into and into somebody's email inbox and getting a response. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, Luigi, I almost called you Tony. Sorry. Um, and a, <laughs> no, and no offense to you, Tony, if you take a listen, like I'm not trying to offend either one of you. You're both wonderful people. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, we do look forward to you helping us figure out how to do this uh, surf and sales thing in Australia. So, you know, we're, we'll be hitting you up for that. Sure. Make it happen. Yeah. Thanks guys. So, yeah, appreciate, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and thanks Cheers. and thanks for the the stuff that you guys do for our community, man. It's 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 awesome stuff. So thank you. Very welcome. Thank you.